welcome CFE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. Is it an act of violence to correct the language that learners use in their home spaces and tell them that there's a standard way to speak English in spaces? I don't. So then I can't do that with the interview data. <laughs> of course I can't. That would be ludicrous. Um, so there's a lot of questions still being asked around, around that, that end point. Hello and welcome to FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher Saxon and my partner in crime is It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm really good. Nearly the summer holidays. Mm. It's it's that point in time where you you start doing loads of marking, the weather gets better, and you you can already plan your holidays out ahead of you. You say holidays. I think I think mm. I think I'm gonna is be busy. A, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a euphemism for lots of PhD writing and study, isn't it? Uh, well, look, okay, uh, without further ado, let's move on to our uh, special uh, guest because we've been tracking her for a while, haven't we? And in fact, I'm thinking back to in COVID even, COVID times, recording in my, what I call a walking wardrobe, which is a bit grand. Um, I remember interactions with her even back then. So it is. It's Laura Kays. She is an advanced practitioner, a research further scholar, a writer. You may have um, read some of her um, articles. Uh, also a dog lover and a cat lover, because actually certainly one of her dogs became quite famous, I think, in lockdown. Yeah. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Laura. How are you? Hello, Joe, and hello, Alistair. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I listened to the podcast, and I mean, I'm going to be very, be very honest, I won't listen to this episode because the sound of my own voice makes me cringe, but I'm really excited to be on it. Oh, we're, we're so glad to have you here to, you know, sort of share things, demystify things, and, you know, just, yeah, share your knowledge and passion with everybody. I'm going to hand over to Alistair for the first set of questions, and then I'll zoom in with some more. Okay. So, right, Laura, um, we always jump straight in really with this. Tell us a bit about you and your role, because I know that Joe did her short intro, but yeah, give us your perspective. Yeah, I'm an advanced practitioner with Luminate Education Group, which is huge, but I work um, specifically within the Leeds City College part of Luminate. I'm an advanced practitioner based at one particular campus. We do a bit of a residency module. So that means I kind of lead on all things teaching, learning and assessment within that campus. It's a huge mix of um, working one-to-one with staff, which is a, a part of it that I really love to do. I get to spend lots of time in lessons. I get to deliver sessions on things that I'm really interested in as part of staff CPD. There's it's a multifaceted role it's huge um, and I yeah I really really enjoy how diverse it is excellent and because you're not busy enough you're doing research and um an edd as well right so why tell us about your journey into an edd why it was an edd and, and not a phd route yeah I think that's a great question and it's one I'm always really happy to answer I think the edd is often underrepresented um, so prior to my ID, I did the MED, 
I did that with the University of Sheffield and I took the independent research route through the MED because at that point I was I was teaching full time so I was on a really carefully constructed and quite restrictive timetable and I thought that that independent research route would just give me a little bit more flexibility in how I could fit my studies into my work and on reflection and in hindsight I think it absolutely did that I think it was the correct choice for me at that time but it also meant it was really isolated and felt really isolating. Um, at the beginning of my image journey, I had not found the external networks that I find now, all these joyful spaces like Joy FE, and I just longed for that community. I, I really missed it. So the option of having a cohort in an AD structure rather than a PhD was so, so appealing to me. And in my interview, I made it really, really clear that that was something that I was I was pining for. Um, I mm-hmm. was saying that I thought the peers I left with at the end of my AD would be one of my most valuable assets from the experience. So mm-hmm. I'm just about two years in now. And yeah, they've been more than I could have ever hoped for. I'm so grateful to have them. It's so important to have those kind of people around you that that share through the experience. And I know that that we are fortunate enough to have that through our journey as well. Um, So tell us a bit about the research focus then that you're doing as as part of your study. Yeah. So this was informed by my my MA. That felt like a kind of starter. I didn't know that at the time, but that's Mm -hmm. been like a starter for it. So it's called Poverty Inclusive Practice. And that's huge. And it's a massive... (laughs) very quite yeah quite a vague term I suppose but what I'm really really interested in is there's two stages to it the way I see it there is the sharing of pre-existing social sciences research that tells us as teachers and educators about the potential impact of poverty on young people and children's learning and their learning experiences and then the second part of it is around how In our current education format, we are at risk, I think, of othering young people. I think we've crafted it around um, middle-class knowledge systems. And I think we are predominantly middle-class profession, sorry, imposing our own knowledge systems as dominant and somehow correct over the knowledge systems of our young people, particularly our poverty-experienced young people. So I'm really, really interested in theories of cognitive justice. Cognitive justice was, well, is, not was, is a theory created by a professor, an Indian professor, Professor Shiv Viswanathan. If you want to look up his work, it is impassioned and powerful and really, really beautiful work. But it started as um, a way to voice great concern over the imposing of Western hegemonic knowledges upon traditional Indian knowledges particularly around the fields of engineering and medicine. And Shiv Viswanathan and also a host of scholars and engineers and all kinds of professionals within these Indian spaces um, spoke out and said there has to be a recognition of a um, a plurality of knowledge systems. There cannot just be one correct knowledge system. It's got to be democratised. There has to be an equity of our knowledge systems. And that idea... You know, when you read papers or when you read interviews and they mm-hmm. just stick with you, it was like it transplanted into my brain and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And yeah, I was able to pull the pieces together eventually and realise that the reason it stuck with me is because I felt really uncomfortable because I was part of a system that I thought was doing that 
every day onto poverty experience young people and made me reflect on my own experiences in school and education and it was a pivotal life-changing moment for me the moment I found that article. Fantastic what a great research focus too right okay I know Joe's got lots of questions for you as well so I'll pass over to Joe um, to carry on as well thank you. Okay so um, what Often we're driven by this word impact, which I do try and unpick in my own work because it means so many different things to, um, you know, different communities and so on. But um, if I could ask you what impact you you feel your work is already having and what you hope it will have um, ultimately that day when you, you know, you, you are wearing your floppy cap and graduating and your thesis is out there in the world. Uh, yeah. Talk about that. Um, okay, I'll start with what I hope it will have. Is that all right? I hope um, the data that I'm gathering, there's it's mixed methods. So I'm looking at quantitative data around outcomes and attendance. They are my kind of big quant data sets. But what I'm really, really deeply interested in is learners' perception of belongingness in their colleges. It's all situated within further education. And that, for me, is the biggie. I, th- I think, it, I believe, and people are free to disagree, I think if you get belongingness correct, everything else follows. Attendance follows, motivation follows, engagement follows, outcomes and attainment follow. And I think, and I know it's not as simple as that, but... In an ideal, wonderful world, we would all become poverty inclusive practitioners and we would create, actively craft every day spaces where not just poverty experience learners, but every knowledge system can be represented and valued equally in our spaces. And they want to be there to celebrate that with us. How does that happen when I start working backwards? I would love to see colleges create young people in poverty policies. I would love that to be a staple and a norm that everybody is trained in this, but then, well, then I start asking all these questions and somebody asked me, it at my residential at uni recently, how do you stop that just becoming a bit of a tick box, you know, like a little symbol on a school or a college that says we are poverty inclusive. <laughs> and yeah, it just becomes a really kind of shallow, marketized version of what I hope it will be. So yeah, I just, I just want kids and young people to feel like they belong in our spaces. Mm. Um, I was just uh, uh, thinking that the reason why I was asking you about it is I think um, something that people may not get when they uh, when people are undertaking PhD and EDDs is that some of the ripple effects and impacts happen during the journey of it. You know, lots of people will say, what are you going to do with it at the end? You know, that kind of thing. And I think you're a great example of impact as you go because you write, talk, you go out to other colleges. I'm already using some of the language and words that you've used because I've read your work. So in conversations, say, with pastoral teams here, um, in fact, I was looking at something today, belonging is there. We've got a a, a practitioner researcher here who's been looking at belonging. And, um, you know, it's... It's, it's, it's some of the language and the thinking is starting to creep in because of people like yourself. So I think... I, I ask it because I think it's something to emphasise that being on an EDD or a PhD is not just about the end point. It's the everything that's happening as you go. Yeah, yeah and that's so important, I think. I, 
you're right, I feel like I'm outputting quite a lot, but perhaps actually I'm not engaging in the conversations enough to see to, to see if anyone's listening maybe, and to see if it's actually having an impact. And that, that thing about language, I mean, I'm delighted, I'm really thrilled to hear that it's just creeping out there already. That's exciting because I have some things that... Um, are not unpopular, but perhaps not usually said. Like, I think I've spoken to you before, but I don't like the phrase social mobility. I don't like it. And it's in so many policies in the college. That's what we're aiming for. That's like the gold standard, what we should be aiming for for all of our kids. I'm going to explain why I don't like it because maybe I've not explained it to Alistair before and don't want him to think that I'm somehow like anti. <laughs> I don't know what anti. Um, this, so I feel like social mobility speaks of movement. Um, and it speaks of movement socially. And when we're seeking to promote movement, it's towards something that we consider desirable, aspirational, something that we have decided is the epitome of what everybody should be heading towards. And I think the unspoken there is that what we're suggesting we leave behind is undesirable, socially undesirable. What a dreadful way to describe anybody never mind the homes and families and communities of our learners that we work with every day. I think what we need to be crafting is economic equity. That's what we're speaking about. When we speak about social mobility, it always boils down to money, an opportunity to make money. Um, economic equity for everybody, wonderful. But I think there also has to be that democratisation of social knowledge systems where no one is greater than, or more desirable and we're not enforcing aspirations to be one on other people. Um, I think this this is why there are other words that get used that, that I think introduce that discomfort for me about um, aspirational and ambitious and who wouldn't be on face value those things, but they also lend themselves to the idea that aspirational is um, Oxbridge. It's a way. It's you know it's 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 surprising that that whatever that is you know so yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I'm really interested to know whose aspiration it is. Aspirational for who? I tell the story about that. I probably told you this, Joe. I'm sorry, about the lesson I went into years ago. And this kind of planted a seed that I only picked up again in my ED studies. Um, I went into a pastoral session. Learners were completing applications for their next steps. And um, it was usually university. It was apprenticeships. Or, well, there was loads of different things. And a learner in that class said to their teacher, Oh, I don't want to fill these out because I know what I want to do. The teacher said, oh, great, what do you want to do? And this learner said, I want to be a bin man. And the teacher physically recoiled. Like, I can see it in my brain, like the matrix, you know, like slow motion, recoiled. And I think initially thought that the learner was somehow trying to cause trouble or trying to get laughs from saying they wanted to be a bin man. And this conversation unfolded where this learner, this young person had very carefully considered that aspiration. Their uncle was a bin man. They spoke about the house that their uncle owned, didn't rent, they owned it. Their uncle had dogs, they had a garden, they earned 25,000 pounds a year. For that learner in that space, that was an aspiration. And it doesn't matter how many blooming PGCs you've got or how many EDs or MEDs or PhDs, you're never in a position to enforce your aspiration as correct over the one that that young person has crafted themselves because of their knowledge systems and life experiences. I was asked at the LSRN conference, which was glorious, um, what I thought should have happened in that space. And I think it was a great question because it just had to be a conversation. I think it just had to be a recognition of 
fantastic. You've put the research in there. You really know where you want to go. It's my job as your teacher to make sure that further down the line, should you wish to change or if you want to consider other options, you can come back. You can you have the skills to seek what you need moving forward. I think that's all it had to be. Mm, and, and not physically recoil. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, it's honestly like that back then from the matrix in slow motion. Well, that's how I remember it now. It probably wasn't so severe. Oh, thank you. It is a, I know, yeah, I have heard you uh, say it at the LSRN conference, which we've mentioned on this podcast before. Um, but it is it, it stories like that are very powerful, though, I think, for um for all of us as teachers, as educators, to to really grasp something. So I you know, I think those are important to share. Right. And so I want to I want to ask a bit then a bit more of the um, stuff about the methodology or the method. Who, who are your participants? How are you getting to uh, what you want to understand? Yeah, so I went back and forth with this for ages, as I'm, everybody will. I'm sure they do PhDs in their 80s. Um, the design looks like me working with student teachers or apprentice teachers. So the reason... I've done, I mean, there was lots of reasons. I think it was around space in their university days to explore these things at time. Um, it was willingness, I suppose, to consider new practices and new ideas when we're not, yeah, covering staff and teaching, I don't know, 100,000 hours a week. Um, so I've gone with student teachers. The idea is that I will host five workshops with them online. And so I don't want anything from them. I'd like them to attend those spaces and I would like us to think about what these things mean. I would like us to explore how they transpire in our classrooms. So, for example, that first step around poverty informed and what poverty can look like in our classrooms. There's lots of studies that show and the word is deficit. That's what they say in the studies. And I hate that. I hate that word. Um, but compared to the standard model that we're measuring every young person against, they show deficit in things like emotional regulation or vocabulary. So I want to talk about what that looks like in our classroom. And I'm really interested as well in what that's looked like for that young person in, in 10 years of schooling before they've arrived in our classrooms. Then I want to, the, the data will come from their learners. I've decided it's going to be level two at the minute. That's where I'm at, purely because we have a higher percentage of free school meal learners or free college meal learners in our level two groups. And I know it's not an ideal measure, but in terms of scope and what I have access to information wise, I, I do think it's the best marker for me for this study. And yet the qualification is complete in one year. So I can run my research for one academic year and gather the data that I'm hoping to at the end of it. So yeah. Student teachers participate in the workshops and then kind of do their own thing. But I will have weekly idea, idea room spaces where they can come and we can just in practice moment, practice noticing. We can practice, we can reflect on our ethics and we can just ask questions that we need to ask as often as we need to. And then the learners themselves at the end of the process, so probably about this time next year, I will conduct walking interviews. And this is the bit I'm really excited about, really nervous about. I'm going to go to the colleges and meet the learners. Just a random sample from surveys that have previously gone out. And yeah, my thinking behind that, I'm really interested in these mobile interview techniques and methods that are coming out at the minute. And 
I'm really interested in how that helps me minimise those power structures that would happen if I was to sit in front of them in a classroom space and bless their hearts. I'm sure they try to seek correct answers for me. I'm really interested in how I'm going to transcribe that data. I'm still making decisions around that. Um, one of the things that I will look at in the poverty inclusive practice is around how is it an act of violence to correct the language that learners use in their home spaces and tell them that there's a standard way to speak English in spaces? I don't. So then I can't do that with the interview data. <laughs> of course I can't. That would be ludicrous. Um, so there's a lot of questions still being asked around around that that end point. Hey, thank you. I'm desperately trying to remember the surname of somebody. Uh, so Cheryl, somebody else. Cheryl, I'll try and find a surname from Huddersfield Uni, who I, I got into a conversation about walking interviews, actually. So there might be something that she's written. I don't know. But that inspired myself and somebody else. We did a walking podcast talking about quality issues, believe it or not. It was a windy day. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, uh, you talk about different things. You really do, I think. The conversation is very different if you are walking. So it's a bit like with my 15-year-old son, we'll have a much richer conversation when I'm driving the car because we're both facing forwards. I'm not staring at him and saying, pick stuff up off your floor in your bedroom and all that kind of thing. The dynamic shifts completely. So it is really fascinating. I think particularly to use the young people. I think it's uh, that'll be really exciting. Well, thank you for picking some of that because I get some of our aim with this podcast is sometimes to demystify, you know, lots of things about how people approach uh, their research. Now, the other thing to um, ask you about then is you are a research further scholar. Tell us a bit about what that means. Yeah, that's been just a wonderful experience for me. So Research Further is an initiative that is run by the Association of Colleges and MCFE Joint Venture. And last year, they selected 11 um, applications to fund research in further education and to support it and support it they have. <laughs> they have supported um, financially, but more than that, it's been the social capital that I've gained from that experience. It's been the, the spaces that I've had access to as a result of being part of that group. Um, I presented at the AOC conference last year. I had never been before, so it was really it, yeah, interesting to be there and presenting for the first time. They host regular webinars around key topics. So there was one on tonight about surveys, choosing the right questions, disseminating surveys. Uh, and they, yeah, they, they invite great guest speakers, people who have now got connections with who are just endless resources of knowledge that I wouldn't have had access to had I not been part of this research further group. So I'm very, very grateful to it. Fabulous. Thank you. Um, uh, and actually, there's five more scholars have um, just been um, announced as well, haven't they? Sorry, you disappeared from my screen there. Nobody can see the screen, but um, hopefully you can still hear me. Um, yeah, so we've just had five, five more announced as well. And hopefully that kind of money will be there ongoing to support, you know, more and more people in the sector. That would be fabulous. Um, can we just finish on? Um, well, not actually. No, not totally finished. But my final questions, serious questions. Um, you, you've said you faced quite a lot of challenges as a researcher who, you know, is also working full time, etc. Perhaps give us a few of those, uh, the biggest challenges you faced, but also some um, maybe tips or advice for people starting their research journeys. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Challenges have been, it's been time. Time has been a big one. I have to say as well, as part of the research further initiative, my work gives me time. I get a day a week now to do my research. So shout out to Luminate. That has been an absolute game changer. Um, but still, <laughs> time. <laughs> it's a, it is a big undertaking. Um, another challenge I think has been, I feel really deeply emotionally invested in the research that I do. So when I immerse myself in it, it exhausts me. It really drains me. Um, and that's, yeah, that was unexpected, I think. But it makes it feel important and it fuels me to keep going at the same time as exhausting me, which is a strange juxtaposition to experience. Um, other barriers... It can be quite isolating. I don't know if anybody, I don't know Joe or Alistair if you're in the same position, um, but there's nobody at home or in my kind of immediate friend or peer group who are doctoral students, PhDs, EdD. I have to say my own mum has just passed her viva with minor corrections. <laughs> She's done just amazing. Um, but here, I'm obviously I'm 200 miles away from my mum here. There's nobody else in my immediate spaces going through the same thing and it it can be a heavy it can be a heavy load to carry sometimes mentally um, and it would be really nice to have well I don't know it's also nice to have, be able to just shut off from it sometimes because nobody else is asking questions about it I don't want to come home and talk about methodology over dinner <laughs> but it would be nice to have somebody understand that it's challenging and what was the other question advice was it advice yeah 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 people starting out what yeah. would you say to them Build communities, seek out the joyful spaces, especially if you don't have them at home and in your immediate network. Seek out the spaces of people who understand and who champion you and, yeah, who share all of their capital and their resources. And it's just joyful once you're immersed in those spaces with other people. So, yeah, get a foot in the door. And if you're not sure how to, reach out to me. <laughs> I'll put you in touch with mine. Yeah, absolutely. Um in fact, probably quite a lot of those communities that I know you, you're referring to, people have been on the podcast from those communities. And so they have been uh, sort of mentioned over, over time. I think, I, I mean, yes. Uh, so, so you know, many hard relates in terms of what you were saying then. That emotional investment, it's hard for me here in my role not to take something personally. <laughs> um because yeah i'm i'm so so invested in in my own uh, study so i yeah i get that um right okay well look uh, we're going to um end the sort of very formal questions then and then we're going to play a game are you up for that <laughs> yes always i'm up for the game okay so um I'll, I'll explain it to you both because actually you're going to be uh, competing against Alistair and Alistair doesn't know. He's had no, you know, advance warning. So, you know, all is equal and, and democratic in this game. Um, so uh, Alistair, you may not know, he lives in Lincoln, but he has a strong desire to live in Scotland. Um, and Laura, of course, you are a Scottish native, um, but you reside in Yorkshire. So the, the name of this game is What Are You Talking About? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best to read out some Scottish phrases, words or sayings to Alistair and to see if he can interpret them. Tell me what they mean. And then for yourself, Laura, I'm going to share some um, Yorkshire uh, words, phrases or sayings and ask you to interpret them. How do you feel? I am excited. 
said, now what you'll have to bear in mind when I'm doing the Scottish ones, I can't, I'm not going to try and do it in an accent and I probably won't say them correctly. So I might have to spell them. I don't know. We're just going to see where this goes. And also, you know, this is not a re, this is not regional. I might be picking things from all over Scotland and all over different parts of Yorkshire in this, you know. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, but you know, uh, first of all, I'm going to ask Alistair some questions. And I think I've got about seven. Laura, you can decide whether he gets a point. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll, you know, then we'll swap things around. Are you ready, Alistair? Uh, yeah. Okay. Then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, if I said that this following phrase to you, you know, what what do you think I'd be meaning? If I said, "You're looking peely wally." <laughs> I've no idea. Oh. I've no idea. Uh, well, I believe it means um, you look a bit pale or ill. Is that right, Laura? You're looking peely valley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So zero points there, Alistair. Zero points. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm going to do my best with the number two. That scheme with the bulk. <laughs> <laughs> what? Any ideas? No, oh, no, oh, no. Oh. Um, I'm going to, I've got no idea, but, but we'll throw out there what that's put me right off. Ooh, I think making me feel a bit sick, I think, is what I've got. What What do uh, you say, Laura? Yeah, bulk is like what they use for dip down here. Give me the bulk. Yeah, so, mm, okay. No, zero points. Okay. Oh. Okay, next, number three. How do you wished? <laughs> I think Laura's laughing in appreciation of my attempts at this. Uh, how do you wish? What? Go on. Anything? I, absolutely nothing going on here. I think what? I'm going to have to. No, it means be quiet. I think. I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, right, I'm going to struggle with this. Oh, okay. Right. Long may your lum reek. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to say that better? Well, if me, nothing Laura? else, Laura's really enjoying this. She, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, no, nothing. N nothing. Okay. Uh, what, how should that be said, Laura? Did you even understand what I was trying to say then? It's yeah, Lang may your lum reek. It's good wishes that we give each other at Hogmanay for a healthy year ahead. Thank you very much. Right. Okay. Zero points. You're not doing very well. Uh, okay. Um, away and boil your head. <laughs> Come on! I think you're just making noises here, Joe. What? Oh, we bowl your head. I think it's like get lost. It's like say, go away and boil your head. But but yeah. Okay. Okay. Get lost. Okay. Right. Okay. Two words, and I don't know how to say them, so I might have to spell them. If I was looking at this, what am I looking at? And it said to me, it's spelled like fierty. So F E A R T I E. Fierty. Does that make sense, Laura? No, I don't know this one. Oh, right. It's a Google one. Who knows whether it's real then? <laughs> right. Well, anyway, what did Google say then? F. Well, yeah, again, it, it's, it'll be writing it as a pronunciation, won't it? F E A R T I E. No. Like you're scared of something. Oh, no. Right. It said cow. <laughs> a cow. Wow. Um, Oh, all right. I'm going to send you it. I'm going to send you it, Laura. You might, you might go away with that one. Right. And the next word I came across, it looks like hack it. Oh, I can't hear you. I can't hear Laura. Oh, I'm back. Oh, it's okay. Right. So the next word I've got is hack it. 
Yeah. Oh, she's laughing. So that means it is the thing. Come on then. Um, if I described you, Alistair, as Hackett, am I being offensive or polite? I guess knowing you, Joey, it depends whether it's first thing in the morning or last thing at night, but uh, it might not be polite. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. It means ugly. So you're right. You can have one point. Yay. Yay. That was appalling, Alistair. Appalling. Oh. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, we're moving on to you then, Laura. Are you ready? Oh, I feel nervous now. Okay, I need to beat one point. Okay. And you need to get at least one point. Okay. Uh, big prizes. Don't know what they are. Might be a bone, <laughs> a bone for that dog of yours. That, yeah. Is it Alfred? Alfred. Albert. 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 That's it. Albert the dog. Okay. Um, if somebody uh, said they were Nesh, what would that mean? In Yorkshire. Yeah. I'm going to guess. Is it hungry? Oh, good guess, but not cold, but cold, but sickly cold. Yeah. Okay. If I said I was mashing uh, something, <laughs> it might be, um, well, I can't tell you what, otherwise it'd tell you. What, what am I likely to be mashing? Potatoes. No. Tea. 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 Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Um, if what would I do with Hendo's? Think about where you study. Where do you study? That's a clue. There's a place where you study, and if you, mm, the good people of that city know their Hendo's. Do you put it on your cheese and toast? You could, uh, do you know what? That'd be an excellent use of it. It's a condiment. I suppose the nearest thing might be Worcester sauce. Like Lee and Perrins. Yes. Yes. Did I get a point? Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Well done. Um, <laughs> right. I'm going to say something. See if you can tell what I'm saying. Uh, and, you know, and, and yeah, it is probably something I would probably say. Who was she with? Who was she with? Yes! <laughs> yes, I'm winning. I'm officially winning. Right. Next one. I, I can't remember where I'm up to. I'm giving an equal number here. Um, if I said that's got beef, what am I talking about? That's got beef? Mm. Yeah. yeah. You them. Yes. Oh, she's doing so well. She's had enough time in, in, in the shires to know these things okay if i was to take you up the snicket <laughs> laura yeah. what am i doing what am i doing it's the wee lane between buildings yes yes well Do done you go there for a specific reason or well i mean it might depend very oh. possibly very, very possibly yes yeah um Okay, I think there is a number seven then. I think, yeah. Okay, this final one. Um, if I'm traipsing, what am I doing? Mm. Tra if you're traipsing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, okay. I'll give you that one. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> How did she get then? She, oh. A lot more than me. I didn't <laughs> stand a chance in there. Ah. Honestly, call yourself a lover of Scotland, Alistair. That, that appalling, appalling. Well done. Well done. Well done, Laura. We, we'll send you some kind of prize or gift for your, you know, you've definitely won a Yorkshire passport there. I was going to say my prize could be a gift to see. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed. You, your visa 
It's stamped for many more years. Excellent. Well done. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast. It's been an absolute delight. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been loads of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us again soon.